Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage of the French Open begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. This podcast is brought to you by the supporters of patreon.com forward slash Dan Lissac. And if you enjoy this podcast, you should consider becoming a supporter of patreon.com forward slash Dan Lissac. This will not be the last time you hear the phrase patreon.com forward slash Dan Lissac in this podcast. Enjoy! Hello. And welcome to episode 24 of Falling Forward with Dan Lassac. And th- that's my voice, uh, Dan Lassac's voice here. I actually, I've said it before, but it sucks that I put my own name in the title. I feel weird saying my own name every single week. Don't you know who I think I am, listeners? Um, but that's life. That's life, guys. There was another one called Falling Forward, and I'd done the artwork, so what, what can I do? I didn't spot it till too late. I'd announced it. Wah! And stuff and things. Hope you're all doing delightfully well. Welcome back, returning listeners, and new listeners. I think we get new listeners now and again. Like, each guest probably brings in one or two of their own. So, uh, if you're new, I'm Dan. We do this every fortnight. It's a delight. I talk to creators of all sorts of creative creations. Righty peeps. Creative pe- No, creative peeps covers everyone. Righty peeps. Music peeps. Animaty peeps. Game dev peeps. Um, artist peeps. Have we had any artists yet? Well, they're all artists, Dan. They're all artists, mate. Come on, son. Um, but yeah. Welcome, and if you're a returner, thank you for coming back, even though you know how shambolic this is. That's amazing of you. This week we've got Marcus Brigstock, a man who has done way too much stuff to list at the start of the podcast, you know? So uh, I'd recommend uh, Googling him, Marcos, not Kos, Kus, Marcus Kus. Brigstock, I think, is what you search on the Googles. And, uh, yeah, you'll find him. And you'll go, oh, no, he did that. All oh, right. I like to describe him as the British John Oliver, even though John Oliver's British. 
But that's a, just a reference to one thing he did. You know which thing he did. And if you don't know, you'll find out when you Google him. But yeah, we had a lovely chat. We bumped into each other a few times in our lives at festivals and stuff. It was really nice to get to talk about that. The joy of the crowd. How we kind of become like just one lump organism. One big fleshy lump. If you haven't played the game Inside, uh, you should go play that. By the people who did Limbo. It's like the end of Inside. Just rolling around like a fleshy lump. Oh, that's a spoiler, Dan. That's a spoiler. They've had years to play that game, Dan. Alright, alright. Where was I? I distracted myself by spoiling a, a beautiful independent video game. Um, but a lovely chat. Uh, extremely open. Marcus is one of those people who will talk to you um, in a very frank and honest manner. That's the type of person I've been endeavouring to be in recent years, because uh, obviously I used to be an arsehole, uh, and I'm trying to un myself. It's an ongoing process, listeners. It's an ongoing process. But yeah, good chat, basically. I don't want to. I, I never want to say what everything we talk about because then you don't have to listen to it. Um, this one's a little longer than normal, and obviously when they're up in this sort of two-hour length, I would normally split them in two. But because of the way the conversation flowed, it just felt wrong to do that. I would have had to cut it off like halfway through a bit, or maybe reorder the whole conversation so that each episode flowed nicely and I just felt leaving it as one big chunk made a hell of a lot more sense so yeah rip my uh, ad revenue dreams you know but art more than money in it yes I called my podcast art all right it is it is <laughs> also there were some weird audio glitches when I got the recording home. Like, nothing major. We didn't lose anything. But there's, like, weird little pops. Like, hmm. I don't know if one of us was kicking a table or something. I don't think it was that. There was just a noise. Um, so you will hear the occasional little dip. Little dip. I'm actually crouching as I say this in the sound where I'm just trying to make that more pleasant for your ears. But there are a couple of sections later on where I've had to kind of carte blanche, chop chunks out. I've made sure to stay with the spirit of the conversation. No context has been changed, you know? I think it's important to state that at the start, just just so you know. I'm not going to... Uh, fake newsing you. I think that's the correct phrase. Fake news! Fake news! You can't have that extra burger. It's bad for you. Fake news! You know? And as ever, with conversations like this that get into uh, the more philosophical realms, uh, listen to the whole thing before you respond to it. You know, listen and go, ah, that's what they were saying. Not just the first word. Go, what? And that's important, listening and uh, using critical thinking to understand the context and subtext of of a chat. Not saying any of you would do that, but we are on the internet. You gotta be gotta be careful. Um, I do a little false end on this one because the last twenty minutes of us chatting is just us getting distracted by food, and um, although. 
it didn't really make sense in the main body of the podcast. I kept it because I, I enjoyed it. So uh, this is not as long as it looks. You've got like 20 minutes of us just yabbering about beans at the end. So look forward to that as well. Anyway, I should, I should just let you go. I should let you get on with it, you know? So after these messages, me, Marcus Brigstock, talking. Yes, talking. Enjoy. The music on this podcast can be found at danlesac.bandcamp.com. And if you were to purchase some of the ambient twerks or trip-hop bangers from danlesac.bandcamp.com, you'd be directly supporting this podcast. However, if you prefer Dan Lesac apparel to cover your shame whilst supporting the show, go to danisgreat.co.uk for all your t-shirt and beanie needs. Enjoy! Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out for a chance to win the French Open title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV, live in HD. Don't miss a moment with daily live coverage and match replays on demand, beginning Monday, May 20th. Be there for all the unforgettable moments. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Don't make me hit my children. <laughs> sort of. Please, please, please. Or at the very least, please notice that I'm hesitating as I lift my <laughs> hand. <laughs> I don't want to do it. But yeah. I bloody will. I'll look away. Kids these days. Yeah, exactly. Can't tell them anything. They don't, they don't know they're born. They don't what know. What does that mean? I say it all the time. God, it's, kids, they don't know they're born. For the last year, that, that's been my favourite expression for no reason. <laughs> like, no matter what, any, my mum my said something to me about my dad, and I was like, oh, kids these days don't know they're born. They're born. <laughs> and she's like looking at me thinking, because she's a little bit deaf. Mm. She said, I just misheard that. What that, was that? What was that? <laughs> my dad, I, when I saw them just recently, my dad... Um, He's in a dispute over a boiler. Okay. Um, he basically, his boiler? His boiler. He paid the wrong boiler man for his boiler. He got a boiler put in and he paid someone who'd put a different boiler in somewhere else. Okay. Somehow. And the guy spent it. Yeah. And uh, now he's in this long running, ooh. Um, but my dad can't work out how to print out the texts to prove right. it to small yeah, claims yeah, court. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
And uh, he'd been he'd found this old digital camera he had that like two megapixel thing. I was trying to take pictures of the phone. Take photos of the messages on his phone. On his phone that didn't work. And then he uh, to then take them to Snappy Snaps to print them out. Yeah. And then he'd beautifully um, framed. He'd put them on his scanner. He put the phone yeah. on his scanner, and he was like. It just doesn't work. I don't get it. <laughs> so I, I spent an entire day teaching him how to. Like, this is how you do a screen grab on your phone. Yeah. But it hadn't even crossed his mind. And you can send that straight to a printer, and yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I find that like people I'm writing with go, "Did you know you can like that? It'll automatically recognise the name of the next character." What? And I'm literally like hand typing out five hundred times the name of a character <laughs> who appears in a. In a sitcom, they're like, oh, so yeah, just like the, let, the letter R will, it'll automatically select Ralph. What? Oh my God. What? <laughs> but maybe you need that time. Maybe you need those This those is it. Letters. You don't know. You don't know with, with a lot of that stuff. Your brain's you know? just got to think it through. Yeah, 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 yeah. It makes me more committed to the character of Ralph to have to slowly type out his name. Because you, he has to type out his own name. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you're I getting have, closer to Do you have any words that you still can't spell? Decision. Yeah, fair enough. I'd struggle with that. Me? Friends. Friends? And you'd think, given the sitcom, just, are you just I've seen it? that written down a million times. And I, pretty much every time... Big Friends fan? Have to do... Uh, enough. You know, like, <clears throat> it was in, in, the, in my world. Yeah. I have to check how to spell friends pretty much every time I use it. Mm. So odd. Maybe you've learned, instead of spelling it correctly, you've taught yourself to not know. Exactly. I've taught myself the to be tense about it. And I'd have a go now at F-R-I-E-N-D-S. But it's not... Because um, I think it's I before E because that's reasonable. Except after C. Except after C, but not always. But not always. <laughs> so if you're dyslexic, which, by the way, is a cruelly difficult word to spell. Yeah. Uh, and I am dyslexic. There are words like that that you're like, this is... Ne- I'm, I'll never know. Genuinely, it does feel like... They're mocking dyslexic people by giving totally. them that word again. <laughs> Absolutely. You could easily have used an acronym for that, you mm. know. Big capital D. SD, you know, spe- yeah. spelling deficient or something like that. Dyslexic and dyslexia. Mm. Come on. Just not fair. Rosie Jones' stand-up has got such a brilliant routine. Do you know her? I don't. She's got cerebral palsy. And so her speech is... Like that, mm. every word, and uh, she's like, So, deaf people have deaf, yeah, blind people have blind, but those of us who find it hard <laughs> to speak are given cerebral palsy. <laughs> You're like. It's and it's amazing seeing an audience respond to it. Yeah, because they're there way before she can physically get there. But her, she's like she's developed her own her own timing within the um, within the use of language that she has that is way funnier than any other delivery could possibly be. Yeah, God, it's good. She's, she's worth looking out for. Very very funny. It's, um, it, it's <clears throat> something in in comedy about about timing. It's similar to music. Like, you can see where something's going, but it's the decision to how long to make you wait. Exactly. And you can A drop in a song is no different to that, where you know where this joke is now, yeah. but it's going to get funnier be- because... And, like, how many, how many steps will you take 
before you before you release the whatever the punchline is mm. or the moment where the laughter breaks and as often as not it'll be that you know you say something and a laugh begins and those who are recognizing where it's going mm. are gradually getting it but then there's still that moment exactly like music where there's a drop and everybody gets to go together yeah and that's what obviously that's what you're looking for because those moments I was talking actually talking on a podcast about this just this morning about other podcasts no 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 i don't see it's you it's you i love um but (laughs) but about how i find it hard not to be stiflingly sentimental about it how important the experience of having of seeing that stuff together is Mm. be in a room and see stuff or hear stuff together with other people yeah is to me more important now than it's ever been because because with my phone in my hand all the comedy there's ever been and all of the music there's ever been, I can find within a couple of thumbtaps, mm. you know. But that moment of all being together and feeling something like that happen yeah. is great. So there was a thing, I, I was trying some new material last night and I knew that not all the audience would get what I was doing with, yeah. this, with this punchline that I was playing with but that enough of them would get it to, to like carry it through. And it was really, it was the first time I'd done it. It was really interesting to see where they started to laugh and then where the, where the big moment came. Yeah, the rhythms of it are crucial. And actually, with improv comedy, which I do more and more, working with other people, the, um, the similarities between how the great jazz bands and a really great narrative improv troupe mm. work together are extraordinary to me. In the, It's all about <clears throat> listening really carefully it's all about knowing when to take up a position of support it's all about um embracing a mistake to make it part of the next thing that you're mm. doing or even if it's not a mistake something that steps outside of the direction that you appear to be traveling you know do you ever get the situation in that collaborative space where you've stepped on somebody else's direction like they're taking it a place and is there a tension there of people yeah. trying to pull it in directions? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with improv, y- you need to be very careful, or yeah, you need to be very careful about deciding you're taking it anywhere. Mm. Stay as much as you can, completely in the moment, and be willing for it to change all the time. That's where the best stuff comes from. However, if you're working with somebody, and we've all been guilty of it at one time or another, if you're working with someone who's tapping things as quickly as they can towards a punchline, mm. a punchline will often break something in in improv. So if you're building a scene in which you're kind of looking for a game, I guess. So the scene is you and I are waiting for a train and you look down the platform to your left while we're talking and I notice it. So I go, right, I'm going to do the same and I'm going to look down to the left a bit bigger and a bit longer. Mm. Now the audience have got a game because I've copied what you've done. And then you, we're still talking about something else, but you look down to the left for longer in a more ostentatious way. And then I do it bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, right? Then there's a game for the audience to play. And it's silly, means nothing, no great punchline coming, but there's something rhythmical about it and interesting and beautiful and and all the rest of it. The punchline, obviously is for the train to arrive from the right. From the other side. Yeah. And, yeah. Then you, and then you get on it, which is great. Big payoff, big reward, game's over. 
Yeah, now you're scene's on the train, over. it's done. Yeah. The scene's over, you know. So it's a question of like knowing when to do it. And and everybody wants to be the person who registers that the train's coming from the right mm. and gets the big laugh. But maybe there's another three minutes in what you were already doing. Yeah. I don't mean just stretching it out, but like new, new funny, mm. you know. And I, I, all of that stuff to me is absolutely captivating partly because we can talk about it here and go this is better than that you know look to the left build on the idea make it bigger exaggerate it make it a game let the audience discover what the game is and then play it more while they watch you can analyze it and all the rest of it there's something also completely unknowable about it like why is the best piece of music that you love the best piece of music that you love you might be able to say very precisely why but i doubt it probably <clears throat> Probably it will have had something to do with where you were standing when you first heard it. Well, yeah, that's something I've, I've always said, that the amount of music that you love because you were in the kitchen with your cousin Sharon on ecstasy, um, or yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah, the yeah. amount of yeah. things that uh, you you tie to... Like you, you can have music that your parents love that doesn't connect to you emotionally, yeah, 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 but yeah. you can see that connection with your yeah, exactly. parents, and you have that nostalgia There's something, so... My dad had two tapes in his car when I was a kid. Just two. Uh, Johnny Cash, Greatest Hits. Mm. One of the many Greatest Hits collections of Johnny, Johnny Cash. Which meant that most of Johnny Cash I didn't hear until about 20 years later. <laughs> and I thought his Greatest Hits were, were all there was. And they were by no means his best-selling hits. A few were. And Parallel Lines by Blondie. Mm. And I listened... That meant I'd listened to Parallel Lines... And the greatest hits of Johnny Cash more than any other music by the time I was 10 years old. So, like, they happen both to be excellent. So it, they're, they're not so weird. But, like, those will always hold a place for me, you know, mm. that they're just, they make me feel something really, really great. Something amazing. Mm. I, I, I would guess you feel the same, but festivals amplify this experience massively yeah you know songs that you like musicians that you like comedians that you like whatever it may be there is something about not just you can go to a great gig and that's great but festivals there's something about the bun fight of getting in and camping and finding it Mm. i'm thinking about glastonbury in particular you know that when you get to that thing and that moment and there's all those people all packed in together, that's, the, that's what I mean about that unknowable quality is that it takes music and just puts it somewhere like completely, completely magical. Mm. It's amazing. Um, there's, there's something obviously in that herd mentality at festivals as well. The, the amount of times I've been in a gig with a band I don't particularly like mm but have been swept into with the audience. You know, there's, there's, there's why certain... Like, I don't think I'd sit down and listen to, say, the Cuban Brothers yeah. at home. I, no, I, sure. I can't see it. But I've <clears> seen <throat> them a bunch oh, of times. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, like, if someone said to me now, do you want to go watch the Cuban Brothers? I'd be like, yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right, I'm down. Because that's going to be a great show. Yeah, it's like, there's just something in that shared experience. Marilyn that, Manson for me. Yeah? So, like, yeah, I mean, I did Marilyn I Manson. did buy a couple of Marilyn Manson records because of this, but I was at Reading, mm. and uh, I kind of tentatively went, yeah, Marilyn Manson. He did that great cover of um, 
Tainted Love. Yeah. And he did a great cover of Personal Jesus. And uh, I was like, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll go and see. Yeah, let's go and have a look at that. And I thought, oh, this this will be a hefty mosh pit. I probably won't yeah. last long. And the stage filled with, an outdoor stage filled with smoke. And he quietly spoke the words that Willy Wonka um, sings when they're rowing down the river. Yeah. And, uh, and though the rowers keep on rowing, <laughs> where it goes, we can't be knowing. This kind of thing, right? But in his Marilyn Manson drawl. And then these fans, uh, big, you know, windy fans, blew all the smoke away. And there he was on stilts on his hands and legs like a demented spider. Yeah. And I loved every moment of what happened on that stage and the way in which, in a very basic way, the audience loved it and that fed the band and the band did more. I mean, theirs is such a theatrical thing. It's not just like that. Isn't this great atmosphere thing? Yeah. But I could live without the music of Marilyn Manson. I'll play it in the car because it's nice and loud in the car. But that, but those those moments are incredible. Mm. Like, do you know Lionel Richie at Glastonbury? I, I doubt I've seen a man have a better time mm. than Lionel was having. And you can see, and actually that legend spot that they that they have now that a lot of those people I know they're still selling big gigs but they're not playing to like teenagers and 20 and 30 year olds really and you could see you can see this mixture of glee like mm. childlike glee and I th- I think sincere and profound gratitude yeah. for that experience one of the best ever was Shirley Bassey when she did Glastonbury and she did Big Spender mm. Which I think, is, I think I've heard that one. Which is all of, one. do you know, it's all of about 80 seconds, that song, it turns That's out. It's not a long like, song. It's really short. And she got to the end of it and she went, did you like that one? And everyone went, <laughs> yeah. And she went, good, I'll do it again. <laughs> and she just <laughs> did it again. I was like, that's what you do. Imagine um, uh, Beastie Boys Sabotage, but with yeah, Ad yeah. Rock doing yeah, yeah. a Shirley Brassy impression halfway through. That'd be that's, so great. That'd be perfect. <laughs> Beastie's just going do you like that one fuck it let's do, do it, it again, again. Yeah, yeah. maybe that's how that song Quite came right. about and they just yeah, 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 yeah. just cut the weird <laughs> bit out where he talks alright alright we'll just play it again so how do you do you find it because obviously you've done um, like pre-recorded more sitcom-y stuff yeah. and then live with an audience do you feel like the process is different well it yeah, yes, it is. But but when there's no audience there, I I'm trying on some level to play it like there is to imagine you, 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 to imagine what that is. And so, like when I when I write something that I know I will perform in front of an audience, and I don't really mean stand up. I mean more kind of radio, like more scripted stuff. I'm trying to imagine while I write it. Well, where exactly will they laugh? Like, where is the the break? Yeah. point with this and I very rarely am able to say mm. but maybe just by doing it so many times I do know the moment I've got the audience in front of me and a microphone in front of me I'm like I know exactly where yeah, this yeah. will come you can, you can feel it you can feel these these rhythms shape themselves and I don't pretend for a second that I'm a master craftsman where comedy is concerned but I think most of my mates who make comedy for a living would say, would be able to tell you when a, 
a piece of comedy is unsatisfying mm. because there's something like incredibly painful about someone landing something in the wrong place or in the wrong way. You're like, ah, yeah, yeah, ah, ah you burn, you burn, you set fire to it, you ruin something really precious. Mm. By just landing it wrong. I've always quite liked a hanging punchline. The, the yes. Getting yeah. the amount of times I've seen that, someone's got the laugh. Yeah. And then they still say the punchline. It's like, no. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. that's oh, ruined oh, it for me. Oh, you had it. Now. You had it. That's not yeah, like yeah, yeah. One, the one extra stroke. Yes, it's exactly. It's just really sensitive. Oh, oh. Damn. It's too much. <laughs> too, yeah, much yeah, too much. Yeah. Too much back off. But back it off. is. It's really... Um, I'm learning the trumpet at the moment. And... Um, it's really fun and my teacher's great and he totally gets what I want from it. It's not for anyone but but me. And he's showing me jazz scales you can play when you're playing a piece of music. So mm. if you're playing Summertime, you can play within this scale, mm-hmm. right? Afterwards, you can solo within this scale and you can do anything. You can pick one of these notes and just play it the same length or different lengths and it'll do, mm. it'll do, it's fine. If you play this note, It'll still work, but it won't feel right. Mm. And I'm like, ah, I know, I know why. No, I don't know why, but I know you're right. Mm. And then he'll go, okay, so you can hear that that doesn't work. Now, just add this note to this scale, right? Just stick this note in. Just stick this flat mm. in. Now it's blues. And I'm like, yeah, I know. But how do I know? Because I don't yeah. know anything about music theory. I just know that that's blues, and mm. I mean, obviously, that's a that's a heading that we drop on top of a of of a, a, a class of music. We're like, yeah, that sounds bluesy. It's yeah. it's blues, but it actually conveys a feeling, you know. And and I I, I think I think comedy's the same, mm. you know. I think Stuart Lee's a good example because Stuart's a long way out there with his delivery style. It's very it's yeah. very much like the Stuart Lee way of yeah. yeah. Yeah, slow and yeah, no, no. The, uh, the, and in fact, he's doing way more than that. When you see him, there's it's all over the place. Mm. And he does, he sort of does the voice that Richard Herring used to do when they were a double. Is that it, Stu? <laughs> he does. Is that he what does. it is, Stu? And he's literally being. It's funny because I've been listening to more, and it's fascinating. Richard Herring's podcast recently. I hadn't great, really, isn't it? Yeah, this, he's I so hadn't really funny. Listen to it, and I was like, oh yes. Yeah, but for there was a moment in my head was like, why is he doing that Stuart Lee impression? I was like, oh no, that yeah, 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 that's yeah, his voice. yeah. When they were and Lee and Herring, that's and, what and Stuart, does. yeah, Stu's just like he's gone, he's gone solo act and yeah. and and gone. Well, I can do that voice. I can <laughs> pretend to be the other the other guy. But but like so you know with with Stuart, obviously, like he could do. He could throw a knock-knock joke in yeah. to what he's doing or sort of an impression or something. And it would be fascinating for the way in which it stands out. Mm. But but musically, it, it would be all wrong. Yeah. You know, or if he just sort of, if he just became very sweary at any point, mm. you know, it, it would sort of musically be all wrong. Yeah, he, I feel like when he unleashes rage he's he's taken you there he's given you yeah 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 he's yeah. he's got yeah. the build and absolutely and and i you know i i think that i think that with comedy like you just can't be successful if you're no good at it mm. you just can't there's no one fakes it for any length of time because you, it's not it's literally not possible and then there's whether you like or don't like who's doing stuff well i don't particularly enjoy mrs brown's boys mm. but is yeah. it like is it technically Funny, is it landing its... St- yeah, of course it yeah. is. Of course it is. I do enjoy a lot of what 
Stuart Lee does and some of it I don't but like the the precision and again I mentioned Stuart because his style is sort of a bit more out there you know it's so clearly his although there's now hundreds of comics doing stuff yeah slowly but that is still fundamentally about things like finding the clitoris and you're like nope you only get to go slowly if when you arrive yeah it's magnificent yeah (laughs) you can't just go slowly in the Stuart Lee style and expect us to go this guy's a lot like Stuart Lee you know um but it's it's easy for me it's easy to hear the music of what someone's doing right so so Michael McIntyre is an incredibly musical stand-up mm. act, incredibly musical, and he's you know what it's probably Happy House mm. what he's doing. It's high yeah, yeah. energy, it's fast. It you know it, it's funny with him because I got to um, watch a lot of him before he broke. Right, so yeah. before the big TV broke, before the yeah. big DVD, because um, Reading South Street, yeah, yeah, seems yeah. to be one of those warm-up uh-huh. spots. Yeah, it was a really, it's really interesting to think back because yeah. it was still the same comedy, but he, he was he hadn't realised finding it, his voice. And actually, with Michael, I think it's literally physically that he vibrates. Mm. He, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and he's on this like this frequency. And it works brilliantly. Again, it's absolutely irrelevant whether anybody thinks he's funny or not. He mm. objectively is hilarious. Yeah. Incredibly funny man who uh, whose material sometimes includes stuff that makes people go... Oh, the weird thing about whatever, any but, sort of observational comedy as well is once you've heard the joke, it instantly feels old. Because yeah, now, yeah, 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 now exactly. that thing has been exactly. observed. But like his craft, you know, there's a routine that Michael did. And it is about salt and pepper being the successful herbs, mm-hmm. the successful spices. Do you know the bit? Have you mm-hmm. seen it? And he does the other spices in the cupboard, yeah. looking at salt and pepper and being jealous of them. And paprika says, every day I pray it will be goulash day. It is never goulash day. <laughs> Look, I still have my silver hat on. <laughs> and five spices at the end going, um, I'm, I'm actually five... <laughs> I'm actually five spices. I'm not, I mean, I, you know, I'm sort of, but I have been used in Chinese cooking for a very, very long time. And the other spices are going, but when were you last used? And he's like, well, I, you know, I've never been in, they bought me on the way home from a particularly good Chinese. I've never even been open. And the thing is, you know, when there was all that snobbery about Michael. And there definitely people, was. Oh, so much. Me yeah. included. Le- less so, but somewhat. Sean Locke could do that routine. Mm. Easily, Eddie Izzard could have done that routine. Yeah, oh, the spice and and paprika's going. Yeah, oh, oh why well, I never used it. It's not the best impression, but you know what I mean. Like you would totally go, oh, "Fuck me!" Have you seen Eddie's routine about yeah. the spices? It's brilliant. And he, and 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 then he's being paprika, and then he's being five spice. And Sean Locke, I can totally picture doing that routine. Sean would be horrified, probably. Mm. But the reality is, like shit gets overlooked because. Big, successful, O2, DVD, mm. um, mainstream, Michael McIntyre does it. It's still incredibly beautiful, crafted, clever, 
like a stunning what a stupid thing salt and pepper so what who gives a toss yeah. what a great piece of work to find you it, know it Love definitely it. feels like we're still kind of struggling to get comfortable with the concept of like a stadium comedian yeah but, and there are good reasons for that but also you know like so I'm thinking back to when I saw you and Pip mm. In the Queen's Head, was it called that tent at Glastonbury? Yeah, it was Queen's Head, and then it's called I the Queen's Head, and then I think they renamed it, it something Oxley else, or right? Something. Yeah, we played that tent like seven times. Yeah, 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 yeah. They would yeah. never let us play anywhere else. Like, right? No, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And you know, I saw I saw you in there certainly three times. I left Stevie Wonder to come and see you guys. I, I and it was, was worth that it. was my can- that was when I was going to get cancelled. Um, Stevie Wonder. I did an interview in the Sun. Right. And um, I clearly joked. Yeah. I was clearly joking. Yeah. When I said that I felt bad for Stevie Wonder because he's going to lose all of his audience to us. <laughs> but it didn't matter because he wouldn't be able to see them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah, clearly yeah. a joke. Yeah. But when they wrote it, it was of like, course. oh, British musician. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Like, British oh, musician. Oh, God. Jealous British musician trashes soul legend. Yeah. And I remember- all of us, right? So that's Stevie gig. He came out with a keytar at the beginning. Yeah. You know how high the pyramid stage is, right? Mm-hmm. He had a keytar on and he was walking towards the front of the stage. And I shit you not, <laughs> there was not one amongst the 65,000 people watching who wasn't going... Someone's going to tell him, right? <laughs> now, is it funny to laugh at a blind guy? Well, under those circumstances, yeah. Why? Because we know he's going to be safe. No one's going to yeah. let Stevie Wonder flop off the front of the mm. of the stage, and no one's and Stevie Wonder is going to know if his whole audience go and see Dan and Pip. Right? Yeah. He's going to know. Anyway, the, the 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 point being, right? I've I've seen you in there, and I've seen you in in other venues, and there's something about the packed intimacy of that, which I would argue did create a better atmosphere than seeing Stevie Wonder, who I've been a fan of since long before Mm. I heard you guys, way before, and I was really excited about seeing him. But we were in this small, intimate tent, and comedy is the same. And I, I, look, if I could play and sell out the O2, I'd do it in a heartbeat. That would be the divorce payments done for the next six months you know that would be great mm. wonderful and I'd certainly do it but is it comedy at its very best no of course it's no. not but I tell you what I've seen Michael McIntyre in the O2 live and alright I was down the front because I know him <laughs> uh, but I swear he played the room mm. and by that I mean there are cameras and big screens and you can play it but he actually plays the room so I would say he and, and, and not Lee just Evans. the, um, oh, hi guys in the sheets. No, 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 it's no, not no, just the not obvious that. Thing. Like really not that. This sense in which what he's doing is, is throwing a rope to yeah. the furthest seat in the room and pulling that person in towards him. That's what it is. That's different from, and how are the people in the GE? Hey. Which we've all done and it's all fine. Al Murray, I didn't see Al do his O2 show and he, he talks about it a bit and he's like, yeah, look it, it's a bit mad and it's all a mm. bit messy and all the rest of it. How big is O2? It's like 10,000 this? Oh, no. Wembley Arena is 10. I think it's more. Yeah, I think I think the O2, with a, you know, with comedy, mm. where there's just a small stage up at one end, God knows how many thousands. But yeah. I, many more than 10,000, I think. But anyway, and you know, Al said, no, I mean, it does, it's not, it doesn't feel like a proper gig. He does a lot of 
crowd work, you know. Mm. But nonetheless, like he's a good example. Lee Evans a really good example of people who are doing that job of like throw a rope round it and pull them in. Yeah. Now, you know, I, I the size of venues that I play, if you get heckled from the back row, you're going to hear it. Yeah, right? yeah. And that's, I happen to like that. I feel like the um, Hammersmith Apollo is about right for a big stand-up gig. I'm trying to think. In, it's 3,000, Hammersmith Apollo, right? If you get heckled in there from the back row, you're going to hear yeah. it. And that sort of feels to me like that's kind of the deal with, I'm trying to with think comedy. Who we played with there, we supported someone there. Mark uh, Ronson. Uh, Hamsmith. Mark Ronson, did you? Mark Ronson, yeah. Was it good? Did it you was have good. fun? Yeah, it was really good. Yeah. And um, Adele did it as well. So yeah, she yeah, did yeah, one song yeah. with him and stuff. And then one of the, I remember she was out the side and she yeah. smoked. I don't know if she still smokes, but she smoked. Yeah. And one of the security guards was like, Properly didn't know who Adele was, but yeah, was yeah, super yeah. like you shouldn't be smoking. Yeah, it's smoke. so bad for you. So bad I've, for you. I, I've I've got I've got one of the greatest voices of my generation. I yeah. think I'll be fine. I'll be alright. Fag on. Where where have you played that you've gone like that's it? That's the room. That's the space for us. Um, because there are great gigs, right? There's there's great gigs, and they can happen almost anywhere. But like, there's sometimes there's a room you play. So the gig I consistently enjoyed the yeah. most was um, Leeds Brudenell Social Club. Okay, which is an old sort of working man's club, a bit yeah. Phoenix Nightsy. Uh-huh. Um, and but the son of the owner has taken over the sort of cat. What was the cabaret room? Yeah, yeah. So it's still got that kind of curve of of booths yeah yeah yeah. but it's got a dance floor now it's got a proper PA and stuff but there was just something about that room but it's also partially because it's like in Headingley and Leeds so it's like really racially mixed it's really demographically mixed and you go in the bar and you've got a girl who's dyed her hair hot pink yeah standing next to a guy with a a whip it on a rope yeah 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 yeah. it is properly feels part of the surround and stuff but um the room, like, that was consistently the most enjoyable gig. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. The gig that I most enjoyed filling. As a gig, yeah. Like, the achieving was mm. Coco in London. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. Partially because I used to go there as a kid mm. when it was Camden Palais. Yeah. Like, sneaking in at 14. Yeah, 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 yeah. Going to the, the raves. I don't think... The raves. I don't think they were called raves then. <laughs> we went to the raves. Yeah. Um, but because it's so tall... Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's yeah. actually not as big as you think. So it, it's one of those rooms that makes you feel it's a like... stack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look at what I did. Yes. Yeah, I yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. yeah. There's actually a clip of um, me, Pip, Itch from King Blues and uh, Billy Bragg. Yeah. Doing the Billy Bragg song there on our gig. Amazing. And it's really funny, the last note, we're all singing along, and the last note, me and Pip's voices both go... <laughs> and we're like all our me and Pip's mics are distorted because we're yeah, just like yeah, fucking yeah. Billy yeah 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 it was perfect amazing it made me happy that that was weird amazing weird night. but there, yeah no, I mean that when I first started in stand up like 20 something years ago at Bristol there was a room there and I was the bi-weekly compare is that where you went to uni yeah I was at uni in Bristol yeah 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 this was 95 96 and I got a comparing gig 
every other weekend at uh, the Comedy Box at the Bristol Flyer. Mm. And it was a really small room, some shitty mismatched chairs packed in and it was sort of like the bar stuck out so that was in the way of some of it and and it had horrible old carpet and it stunk of beer and I've rarely played a better room than that and I've rarely mm. seen comedians be greater than that and I, you know added into that mix was how exciting it was to me to see people much better than me mm. smashing it and um I remember Matt Lucas came down and played it as Sir Bernard Chumley. Mm-hmm. He was just at the beginning of working with Vic and Bob. And he played it as Sir Bernard Chumley. And I've never seen an audience laugh more. Mm. It's it, it just incredible. And about two weeks later, he was back doing Jesters just up the road. on Literally on the same road. And same set, same material, died on his ass. Mm. And it was both were busy. Both were really busy. And it was a really interesting lesson for me as a comedian. Like oh, you're not always in control of this. This is interesting. This can get away from you. But that room upstairs at the Bristol Flyer... I mean, look, the Comedy Store in Mm. London is... They're wrapped around you. It's a low ceiling. It's underground. The walls are painted black. Mm. The logo is simple, and it's behind every act. The Comedy Store. If Mm. you're shopping for comedy, this is where to come, right? This is the exact spot you need to be. Yeah, this is it. And it is just a great great room to play yeah a ball and banana at the bedford just over there different feel to it it's round mm. and it's where mark thomas used to film his tv mm-hmm. shows it's got the balcony above and uh that's also just like a great great room to play and tour wise it's interesting for me um the best gigs are always ones where i'm on the floor and the audience are above me <laughs> the worst ones are where I'm on a high stage and the audience are below me. Yeah. Because I'm posh. So I'm already talking down to you. Yeah. And if you add, I'm six foot two, right? If you add six foot of stage, yeah. so that you're literally looking up at me like that, it's not that fun, mm. you know? And I, I do a lot to try and address that that issue. But some rooms are some rooms, right? Mm. you just got to play it like it is. But like... I I prefer the Leeds City varieties because of the history mm. of the of the space. But in reality, the West Yorkshire Playhouse just up the road, floor seats wrapped round you, uh, the Hull Truck Theatre. Those mm. are the best gigs for me. Loads of space to move around, and my status is lowered, mm. which is really helpful for a comedian, particularly if you're six foot two, posh, straight, and white. You, I've got every tick of entitlement, <laughs> you know. So get the status lower let me yeah. let me be the jester then i can go off on one and go here's what i think and here's why you're wrong if you don't think this mm. in a way that hopefully will make you laugh but if i'm doing that from literally 12 feet above your head yeah you it, quite rightly are gonna go nah, mate it nah, is really mate. odd it's like uh i think people don't realize how much status we we impart on people just through our yeah. spatial relationships yeah so um Part, part of my day job is teaching photography mm. and the amount of times people will they'll be shooting the model and they're like yeah this like it's not very dynamic and stuff and that's because well it's because you're looking down on her it's because you're six foot whatever yeah 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 you're yeah. not giving her any power in yeah. the frame no. and, and she's at the end of a barrel yeah with you and the lighting guys and everybody just yeah 
And the amount of times it is just a case of like kneel down. No, not even crouch, just get on your knees. And yeah, give, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give her the power. And yes, then all of a sudden yes. the shots, that Then much things better. come to life. You yeah, want to yeah, look yeah. at that image because why has this woman got so much power? Why is yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. I mean, it's weird. So, I, you know, I end up having a photo shoot for every new tour. Mm-hmm. And Andy Hollingworth takes my shots and he's brilliant. Mm. He's brilliant and he's always been brilliant. And he's got better. The mm. shots are great, but exactly what you're describing there... He's got much better at that where he fizzes with excitement. Mm. He'll take a shot and he'll have a look at it and you, you hear him go, oh, mm. and then he puts the camera back up and you're like, I don't know what the, why, I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> I don't know, but whatever it is, it's making my friend fizz with excitement yeah. and then and away we go. And I, I did a load of shots for the um, Experian adverts with a guy called Hamish... Brown, mm. who's like you know, amazing photographer, incredible. He's mm. he's shot like you name a musician, and he's he's, yeah. he's shot them, you know. And he, you know, he's very high status in the room because he's got a team of people watching him like a hawk. They're mm. far more interested in him, but he completely understands that relationship. He has his dog in the room with him. He completely understands what it is to be plonked in front of a camera and have a thousand pictures taken, mm. and that he, that he ultimately is the man behind the thing has to give me something, otherwise, yeah, nothing's going to happen. And he was great, you know. And actually, a huge amount of what he did was, um, I don't know how you'd even describe it. You could say undermining, but it's the kind of undermining that you only do with someone who you're. Mm-hmm. who you respect a bit or yeah. you know like elevation through piss taking you yeah. know brilliant you know like the mistakes I've made trying to get a, an image for a tour show have always been how can I convey how funny I am yeah and the answer is you, you really can't, you, can't. you can't it can't be done I mean if you look behind me right there's a wall of comedy pictures and almost all of them are managing to be funny in their pictures mm. in different ways um but basically, you learn over time, you can't convey hilarious in a, mm. a photograph. There is something so about try. when we're looking at these photographs, there's people you recognise, so you yeah. just, you know they're funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah like, well, exactly. Like, so, and that goes, that gets put on top Even if it. it's not a funny photo, it's like, well, I know he's funny, you know. But, I, it, know I mean, look, Peter funny. Sellers, right? So, there's Sellers as Clouseau over there, and another mm. one of him as, as um, Captain Mandrake. A horrible man. Mm. horrible 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 man but even in that picture mm. even trying to set aside what i know about his films and all the rest of it that's just a funny face mm. isn't it uh will ferrell john candy yeah just like you just funny there's glee in them somewhere um, it's it's in their core as deep in them Deep inside them. This is, yeah, I yeah. think I've, I've been trying to, struggling with this a bit lately as, as like, like John Cleese and he's just being so, so Brexity and it's like, but you were nice, even though he was not nice, if you Never. know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But like, I have a, like yeah. warm feelings towards you, Yeah, John. of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's you know, when I, my, my yeah, when, I, when, you know, our affection for musicians and comedians is, is extreme. Mm. extreme I mean when I think back to when I was a goth and how important that identity was to me and the identity was all Robert Smith Mm -hmm. it was all about Robert Smith 
I had in a tiny bedroom that I was in, including badges and postcards and cutouts from magazines and full-size posters, 63 pictures of Robert Smith nice. in a small... Like, you were quite big then as I well. Was so massive. Like, Robert I was Smith massive. was the ideal... Well, and he was like icon. fat and thin and fat and thin and fat yeah. and thin, you know. <clears throat> uh, but, I mean, if Robert Smith had said something... If he'd if he'd done a, a Morrissey oh, <laughs> back God. in then, like it would have been, I would not have been able to process it. I think yeah. I'd suspect actually at that age I'd have just gone along with it, gone yeah, he's probably right. Yeah, yeah, it's pro- yeah, it's probably well, that, right. That's the thing. But like- we go deep with that stuff, and it is really, it's really painful. And Brexit's been more painful than anything else. When you know people like John Cleese or whatever, when they say something like that, mm. and you're like, okay, look. Firstly, you've fallen for every single Daily Mail, Daily Telegraph lie for years. But also, you're talking from a position of laziness. Mm. London is not what you're saying it is. No. How do I know? Because I'm here every day and it's brilliant. Mm. It's amazing. I walk from here to the Tube and I probably pass 20 nationalities Mm. with different preferences of faith food family orientation sexuality and all the rest of it and it like and that's just one guy and that's one guy <laughs> yeah yeah well, he's not a guy anymore uh but like you know we're brilliant at sharing space in london mm. it's what we do look at the first hot day in london right the mm. first one Clapham Common will be you and I are sitting. What are we a foot and a half apart here? Right, we wouldn't have this space. No, we wouldn't have this space. Right, we'd be nearer to each other, and the next family along would be nearer to us than we are to each other right now. Mm. And you and I are talking about music and comedy, and they're talking about Aunt Nelly's hernia operation and the family to the left are trying to light one of those pissy little barbecues while one of their kids has burned his foot. Right. And everybody's fine. Mm. And we're not pretending that we're all pals. Hey, we're all in it together. We're all just fine. And you get on the Northern Line in the morning, right? Any time between 8 and 10 to 9. And it, it's mayhem. Mm. Who gets left on the platform? Nobody. Not kids, not old people, not disabled people, not blind people. Not people for whom getting on that train is more difficult than it is for me at 6 mm. foot 2 and whatever I weigh these days. I'm not looking. Right? <laughs> Everybody gets on. Because we make it work. We just do. We just share that yeah. space. And of course, there are places you can go where someone will suck their teeth if you walk in or you'll get jostled or whatever and you're not wholly welcome. But they're in. The idea that London, oh yeah, you know, London's so unfriendly and yeah. unwelcoming and people won't talk to you and all the rest of it. I've been in loads of restaurants and bars and pubs all over the country, yeah. really far from London, where, like, that is unfriendly. But what it is to me is is parallel cultures. It's not multi, it's not one mm. homogenous mass. It's parallel cultures that very rarely interact. But where do we interact? We interact around music and food, mm. really, like yeah. or entertainment and food. And food is easier than entertainment because culture blah you know like yeah. that's that's just too unfam. those sounds are too unfamiliar to me but food and drink like brings people together you know we walk down the kids and i walk down regularly to um tooting down mm. there and just take your pick of appalling looking strip light um uh, f- fake marble floor metal table curry restaurants yeah 
and the food is to die for and the service is great and the delight they have in seeing me it's more obvious but like a couple of kids going oh that's nice or no that isn't nice I don't Mm. like that is great like that's that's what it's all about it's like it's not like it's multicultural not to me it's like these these parallel cultures all lined up next to each other with certain moments of intersection yeah it's it's great I think it's about um, if it's a jigsaw, the bits that we homogenise on are the little nubbins. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. That's the bits where we sort of need to blend together yeah. a little so that we're not rubbing up against each other. But we're yeah. not saying that this piece of the jigsaw has to be the same no, as it's not the this same. guy over there. It's different. You know? And also, I don't want that. Mm. I don't want that. Like, you, there's a Muslim family live in the house just beyond... Uh, just beyond the, the one next door to me. Yeah. And they seem really nice. And I talk to the dad because he's got a lot of kids and I've got a pair of kids. And, and so we we jibber-jabber and we mm. chat and all the rest of it. I don't want his life and he doesn't want mine. Mm. And that, that's like, that's been such an easy myth for the fear spreaders to sell. The idea yeah. that, you know, Mr. Patel who lives two doors up, what he wants is for you to not eat meat and for your wife to wear a headscarf. It's not, he's not interested. This, is, this thing that happens all the time, like with, uh, if someone's a vegan, if someone doesn't drink, or yeah, yeah, like yeah. you get that thing of, what, you don't drink? Are you yeah. saying that I'm wrong for drinking? Yeah, or yeah, yeah. I'm wrong yeah. for eating yeah. meat? Or And it's like, no, 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 I'm saying that I... yeah. Don't drink. But that's you that's know? why... So you're not eating meat at the moment, are you? Not really. But I, I mean, ba- basically, no. So you'll know, you'll know this, right? The reason why, I think, why vegetarians and vegans end up talking about vegetarian and veganism so much is that we meat eaters quiz them. Mm. That's why. If I sit next to a vegan, all sorts of alarm bells are going off for me. The biggest one being, I know I shouldn't eat meat. Mm. I know. Yeah, and the reason you, ethic, you I don't give a, by the way wise. to be clear I don't give a fuck about animals I yeah. don't I never have I don't, I'm not interested whatever they can I don't want them to suffer needlessly but I'm like yeah no we farm them that's what we do but environmentally it's just not okay yeah we've it's what 13% of the calories yeah 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 like, we yeah, come from we don't a need third it. of the farm we don't need or whatever. It. so if you're vegan you know. I'll talk to you about it in no small part, because I either want to feel better about eating meat or I want you to talk me into your position. Mm. And look, of course, there are Islamists. There, there are uh, what do you call the groups of Christians who are desperately to, to convert people to Christianity, proselytizing, whatever, doesn't yeah. matter. You know, and there are, there are vegans who are like, how can you do that to the... The poor and I'm like, I, I had a, uh, a discussion with a, a vegan, sort of not really a mate, like a colleague whose work I really like. And I went, look, I, I got to level with you and tell you this, because this is really important, I think. I don't care much about animals. I, I never want to see that footage yeah. of the pigs panicking and squealing. And you're not because I'm looking away and pretending it doesn't happen. And then I get to eat my bacon sandwich. But I just don't go, oh, no. Yeah. Environmentally, I'm like, it's humans I mind about. I'm probably some way towards being a psychopath. <laughs> but I'm like, if you're trying to market veganism to me, guilt me into the environmental thing. No problem. Yeah. But, that, but that's, that's what happens. And like I said, of course, there are people who are trying to talk you into their way of life. In a sense, lots but of us do that. I but. think it comes down to 
we we try to simplify everything too much into like good versus evil this is right this is wrong yeah and it's like <clears throat> that's what my last show was about exactly that was the point yeah and we we just end up in this point where no one can have an actually understand what's going on in the world yeah. because we we've simplified it too much for it to yeah. reflect the world also the extent to which digital communication, by which I mostly mean social media, but I do also mean emails and just the ability to ring anyone anywhere, yeah. invites a world in which you must have an opinion on everything. Mm. You must. Where are you on Extinction Rebellion? Where are you on the Islamification of Europe through uh, immigration which is as as a result of us taking in refugees, which surely we must. Where are you on these things? How many genders are there? You must have an opinion. You must. Because that's Mm. the world we inhabit now. And the reality is... The thing is, I do have opinions on all of those things. Yeah, Yeah, but do you know what, Danny? You and I occupy that space. That's our world. Like, Mm. what are we doing this afternoon? We're sitting having a chat about the state of things. This is the world we occupy Lots of people are fucking busy getting on with their lives. Mm. So I've heard there's that guy, the actor who plays um, Jonathan Pye. Mm-hmm. Some of Jonathan Pye's stuff I just thought has been absolutely brilliant. But the actor who, who plays the part, I heard him do an interview going... Is Chris something? Something like that. Yeah. Going, going, I think people... I don't think people should be racist, but I think they should express their racist opinion and then we'll take it on and then we'll... And I'm like, do you know what, mate? You are not... You're not Mr. Patel from Two Doors Up trying to get the fuck on with his day and dealing with some arsehole on the street who's now being encouraged to express his racist opinion so that we can confront that well, yeah, and that's put it thing. right. Like, it's our that, job. He makes that argument that by deplatforming people or cancelling them or whatever, all you do is push that opinion into the darkness. But the, the problem is, is that's fine for cis white, Males to be well, no, we should be able to challenge the racists. It's yeah, like, yeah, 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 but it doesn't it doesn't affect you doesn't when and on, you. when and on what terms? Because where yeah. you were when you confronted racism was it was in a comfy chair in a studio. Yeah, right. You weren't going about your day trying to get shit done. And also, and I I suspect I suspect I'm genuinely wrong, but sort of deep down I feel like, and I I mean normally I'd be wincing at terms like deep down I feel rather than evidence indicates but I feel like racism and other other forms of irrational prejudice were dying and I feel like what digital communication has done is allow bad people to find each other it's allowed good people to find each other right so you'll have been able to join up with people making music around the world yeah. in a more complete way more recently than you did when you first started. Oh, like the majority of music I've made in the last six months have been directly inspired by... There you go. A- the point about this feeling I have that some of those things were on their way out was that, yeah, of course there were racists. Of course yeah. there were. But the point is, they were like... So you're at a bar and you say... Yeah, yeah, funny enough, we're going on holiday to Israel. And the barkeep says, don't set Gary off. 
Don't say Israel because he's a he's a racist, he's a fucking yeah. Nazi, and he'll be on with all his Nazi shit. Don't you pipe up, Gary? If you start with that Nazi Always shit, you're, Gary. you're barred. Always Gary. You're barred, right? And he, uh, Gary knows, and he. So at the end of the bar, Gary stands there thinking his little Nazi thoughts, but mm. he had nowhere to go. Well, now Gary goes online, and through through. Either through directly through you know Paul Joseph Watson or the Breitbart or Milo Yiannopoulos you know, or yeah. or through the softer stuff where Piers Morgan says, "Look, some t- some days I feel like uh, like men are actually second class citizens," and he doesn't mean it, but he knows commercially yeah. it's good for him. And underneath that, thirty people go, "Shut up, Piers Morgan, you entitled bollock." And one person goes, well, actually, do you know what? I am a bloke and things have got harder for me. Yeah. And under that is a bloke who's, who's gone through a messy divorce going, yeah, and I'll tell, you, I'll tell you another thing. My wife genuinely actually was a bitch. And mm. before you know it, a couple of well, layers the, down, yeah. all of these fuckers have joined up with each the, other. The men's rights activists, that, that whole culture is really... I find it fascinating. I didn't know it, if you'd identify. It's good. It's good it's to see you. Same, yeah, nice yeah. one, man. But MRA. Like, yeah, MRA. <laughs> but like you, there are definitely people in there who have had bad experiences. Of like, course. Like the, but their voices are largely so, their own behaviour. Yeah, yeah. But their voices are so amplified by the people that haven't been affected yeah, by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of but course, man. It's like, well, you know, this. I, I'm going to be part of this gang, and when people tell us we're wrong. That's proof that we're right. Exactly. The same as Flat Earthers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. mentioned Paul Joseph Watson. I do not believe he believes no. a single word he no. says. No, of course you know? he doesn't. Like, I think, you know, like, if he does, he's ill. Mm-hmm. And Katie Hopkins is ill. I've no I, doubt Katie Hopkins is ill. Kate, I think she's Katie really unwell. Katie Hopkins, I see addiction in her. Yeah, totally. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't, I'm not a psychologist. I'm mm. not. But I feel like there is the dopamine hit that she's getting by saying worse and worse mm-hmm. and extending mm-hmm. worse things. And probably there's some financial gain to that as there's well. There's some. And uh, I always think with that, you know, like, because it's quite easy to tear down the financial gain argument, you know, like, well, she lost her column at the Daily Mail. I could literally... Which, which is well paid. Yeah. But the point is, from where Katie Hopkins stands, the direction of further outrage has some... Or lots of money in it, but mm. some, some or lots. The way back has none, mm-hmm. none. No one is employing. I've seen the light, Katie Hopkins. No, nobody. Right, so it doesn't matter whether she it's gets. really big, commercially successful. The, the, I've Morgan. seen the light. Yeah, Katie Hopkins gets maybe a small book deal, and a yeah, few yeah, cycles. yeah, exactly. That's, but you know, Piers, Piers Morgan, Toby talk. Young, she might get a TED talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rod Little, these are just buffalo men, mm. right? They've been thrown out of the herd because of who and what they are. And now the only way they can re-enter the herd is by crashing into it. Right? Mm. And that and that defines the behaviour. And of course, it's worth some money. I've met Piers Morgan a few times. And do you know what? He's so easy to get along with. Mm. So easy. And, you know, like the way he lost his job at the Mirror, the Mirror was the paper that held its line against the Iraq war during the Iraq war, mm. right? And as it turns out, he made a terrible editorial decision and should quite rightly have been fired for yeah. it. But for me, I started reading The Mirror at that time because when the war began, I didn't believe fall in behind the troops. I didn't want 
our troops or their troops to be hurt and killed in that conflict yeah. at all, right? So, and, you know, most of all, because I'm British and, and, and our guys and families are connected to it, are over there. I'm like, please God, let people get home safely, yeah. right? But I was vehemently and strongly remained against, against the war. So Piers Morgan had this odd line in the sand integrity. And when he was in the States making his program, he stayed f- so firmly against... Um, guns mm. and advocated for gun control in the face of people screaming abuse in his face so he's you know it disappoints me so much when I see him do that in a sense I suppose I don't care but I'm like oh come on your cynicism's so ugly I, I just think for me personally when I see that and see the size of people's audiences the people they can reach like like if you look at Graham Linehan and his I understand he's defending women's rights, but at the same time, the way in which he's doing it is really hurtful towards people who are transgender. Mm. He's not hes not being measured or balanced. Mm. He's mocking and There's hurtful. But he has an audience on Twitter, say, of like 600,000. Mm. That's three times as many trans people there are mm. in the UK, mm. depending on whose numbers. And it's like, you have an audience that is so large... And you're choosing to hurt but a group I, of people. I, I tell you what I think. Again, pocket theory could be absolute bollocks, and I cannot stress that strongly enough. I tell you what I think has happened with Graham uh, is that just like Richard Dawkins, mm. he has spent some time now only talking to lunatics, mm-hmm. and there are some screaming lunatics amongst the trans rights activist community. So exactly like Richard Dawkins only ended up talking to, well, I believe that God put me here and dinosaurs are a test. And he went mad because he only spoke to lunatics. And I I still follow Graham and, you know, and I see the people who try to interact with him and mostly they're loons, Mm. mostly, not, not exclusively by any stretch of the imagination. But of course, people get drawn to the to the crazy end of of the argument you know and that's 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 what what fucking happens Dawkins does this as well where they present the extreme yeah extreme minority view yeah as the factual this is what they want yeah 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 exactly exactly and it and it's bollocks and it's always been bollocks Mm. you know it's like there's not there's not a, a man like me that I know who isn't right now trying to work out his position in the world, mm. right? What is my position relative to women in this, in the simplest terms, mm. right? What is my position relative to women? I'm really aware of some realities. Women are not paid the same as men still for doing the same work. Uh, there is not equality of opportunity and there's certainly not equality of outcome. And I would like to see those things changed. How? How do I facilitate that? Right, people are people are trying to work it out. Right, mm. they're trying to they're trying to find a position. They're trying to find being reasonable. And along the way to being reasonable, all of us will make sometimes terrible, by which I mean hurtful, uh, mistakes. Mm. Right, in in just trying to figure out like what's the right way. How do I go in my own but, life? But maybe maybe most people try to make to figure that out in a smaller, quieter way, rather than, Mm, mm. you know, like, um, 
Like Ricky Gervais at the moment, people mm. keep calling him transphobic. But because he keeps making a transphobic joke over mm. and over again mm, to mm, prove mm. that he's allowed to make jokes. And yeah, 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 yeah. But the more times you make that same transphobic joke, I know you're trying to prove Yeah, know, know, know your audience and, I, and, and don't pretend that what you say is like, hey, I can say it, you can say it. Mm, I was doing a thing I, at Cheltenham at, at the Lit Festival with some journalists and there were three stories. One was about a man who transitioned fully and was now trying to transition back. And his description was, I found the problems I had as a man came with me into my uh, existence as a woman. Mm. And I suspect they'll come with me back into uh, being uh, a man again. So it came up as a, as a conversation and I'm there in the capacity of being a comedian. And I knew, and I said out loud, I was like, the ice is real thin here. I can mm. see the water. <laughs> And so the joke that we arrived at, or I arrived at, was the guy who transitioned male to, to well, man to woman yeah. and back again was, did they... That was the weirdest J.R. Tolkien book, really. Did they... <laughs> like, how long did he live as a woman for? Is there any evidence that they kept the stuff? Mm. Can they simply put it back? And it, you know, hardly a joke, like a, an observation that makes you think about willies. Yeah, I hope that that'd be funny. And then a true story about the eunuchs at the um, Forbidden City in Beijing. There were 60,000 eunuchs at any given time. And it was very, very uh, bad fortune to bury an incomplete person when they died. So there was a master of bollocks who kept the eunuchs bollocks so that when they died, they would be buried again. And he had a room filled with jars of testicles labelled up. With whose? With those are yours. 60,000 And when you die... Well... 120,000 bulls, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you died and you'd be rejoined with your plums and then you'd be buried. And so I wanted to get into that because I think it's very funny. Yeah. You know, and it, and yeah, look, the eunuchs of the Forbidden City are long since dead. Who are we punching? No one. They're not here anymore. Yeah. You know, but uh, those were people with no power, whose families were poor mm. and exploited. And blah, blah, blah. Anyway, we talked about this stuff and then at the end took questions and a teacher put his hand up and he said... I have kids at my school who are coming out as trans and your flippant rush to find a laugh from this makes their lives worse. It's hard for them and they will be bullied and you make it worse. And I was like, first of all, I was like, okay, I need to just shut up and let him say all the words he needs to say. I've had my... Mm platform and then come back with a hot and then singer I, and then and then absolutely <laughs> crushing and i was like look i believe fundamentally there is no subject on earth so special you can't make jokes about it however i also i hear what you say man mm. and some of the things that get said cause pain to people and you know and it's not okay just to pretend that 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 doesn't exist mm. so because the first thing that happened was that one of the journalists went, well, we weren't trying to be funny. And I went, oh, no, I was. I was definitely trying to be funny. And I was trying to be funny about that. And I don't believe it's holy. Yeah. I don't. Like, it's really fucking complicated. But anyway, blah. But it is. It is dramatically complicated. Of course it is. And also, what do I fucking know? You know? What exactly. do I know? And this is why when I see someone like Ricky Gervais making those jokes, it's like, dude, like, I, I agree with you. You were allowed to make that joke, but you didn't need to. Like, yeah. you, don't, you don't benefit the world by making that joke. 
Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Ultimately, but but, but, but the the extension of that from the other side or the devil's advocate position with that, I think, is we don't need to make any jokes about anything. No, true. And which things which things are so special that they fall under the category of well, not that. And for how long? Mm. Like, like fundamentally, if you're going through it, if you were transitioning right now, I reckon you and I would laugh in the detail. But it would be like between you and I. And for, for someone, for example, living in a family where they're unsupported and they're going through a full medical transition, mm. uh, you know... The laughs, I guess, would come from where they decide and what's okay for them and as part of a sort of structured bullying and a lack of acceptance. I don't know, the ice is probably too thin. I suppose I've always felt like this. Is it funny enough to justify it? You know, we can all get a laugh out of something cheap, but is it funny enough? If you're going to go there... I've definitely had this this feeling like if you're going to go there, at least put the fucking effort into... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Elevate yeah. that joke. Frankie's Frankie's a big one on this, you know. Frankie, mm. Frankie, I think still believes that nothing's nothing's so sacred you can't make jokes about it. Which I I feel as well. But there are jokes Frankie Boyle has made that have made me go, oh man, yeah, d- come on. But good, right? Mm. Like that's my right. That's that's important. I mean, imagine living in a world where you're never offended. Mm. There's either, either that world is terrible and boring or you're, there's something wrong with you. You should be offended. It's how you know you care about things. And then the question for me comes in, well, then what's to be done about it? Should some people be stopped from talking? I don't know, man. I mean, I look at like the private ownership of of British newspapers and you're like, yeah, because the, the, the Barclay brothers who own the Telegraph aren't talking. What they're doing is subtly, perniciously, deliberately warping an entire narrative mm. that informs largely a generation of, of posh people in a really destructive way. And I would love to see legislation <clears throat> brought about that says, no, you can't own that paper, you pair of fucking warped yeah. freaks. The, this... I believe they're selling it anyway. But, you know, the difficulty around truth around like expressing an idea honestly in such a nuanced world like mm. um <laughs> it, it's like it's like the news the news is you you can't turn on the news and understand it without a bunch of knowledge beforehand yeah 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 and we don't have all the knowledge if a paper like the telegraph mm. or the daily mail are perfectly free to pick and choose which Mm. bits they talk about Mm. you know but at the same time like how how do you choose to show it all like you can't every time jeremy corpens mentions say well this happened and this happened and this happened and he's been accused of this and yeah and he's but let's not forget he also did this and you know it's like we get into this position where we are all expected to know who dot cotton is in eastenders yeah 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 yeah. without ever having watched you know well, and, it, and a, you know, that stupid old trope of, like, getting a politician on and going, how much is a pint of milk? You're like, what? Well, yeah. A and pint? Like, what? No one buys pints. No one buys pints. How much is a litre of milk? How much is two litres of milk? Yeah. I don't know. Milk's a thing you need. 
or you don't, yeah. you know, whatever it is. It's like the, those things are not helpful. They're just... And I guarantee uh, a four, four pints of milk here is going to cost completely different to where I live Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. And by, also, by like also you, you, know, you know how much two litres of milk costs? Less than two litres of water. Mm. So, so that that to me is way is that's of way more interest. You and just reminded me I need to pay my water bill. Actually, <laughs> that's a good example to me of like, well, of course you need you know you need to have a broad uh, spectrum of knowledge. Uh, you need to be able to bring context if you if you watch the news, and that some pieces of information are more interesting and more important than others. Mm. And for me, it's really interesting that like. As far as I'm aware, I, I could be wrong about this. It isn't legal for you to not be able to drink the water that comes into your house. Mm. If the water board that you buy your water from is poisoning you, uh, I, I think like I feel like that's illegal. Yeah. I feel like that's probably illegal, right? Probably. So you've got water. We know you've got water, and we know you can drink that water. But the water in a bottle is cheaper than milk. Uh, sorry, it's more expensive. It's more expensive. It's more milk. expensive than milk. Ha- what? Yeah. Ha- do you have like dairy farming is incredibly difficult. Mm. So 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 difficult. I mean, you know, the price of milk is and why we've got cheese. Yeah. So that that's ultimately you know a good thing. Maybe they should keep squeezing the dairy farmers so they find ways of making their milk worth more by making new and fascinating <laughs> cheeses. I'm on board with this. You know. <laughs> But, but there, I wrote down cheese. Cheese is on my one word. Well, mate, you know, I just I was in Bergamo in Italy as a judge at the World Cheese Awards I, this well, year. So what I was gonna like, there's a, there's a serious question related <laughs> yeah, to cheese. Hit me. So obviously you've had some trouble with addiction, and yeah, food man. addiction oh. in your youth, and still, so and still. Well, it's the hard I, I, thing. I think that addiction is a permanent thing. I, yeah. I firmly believe that that. Fit hole you're trying to fill that yeah, yeah. connection to the world it's always going to be there but you just learn different ways to mm. avoid using alcohol and food. drugs pretty simple mm. you put the cork back in the bottle and you don't use drugs yeah food's really tricky you have to have got, it you have to eat yeah you know so but how do you how do you get to that with like judging cheese <laughs> <laughs> I accept I accept that the day when I judge the world cheese awards I'm going to eat insane amounts of high fat high salt food and not feel too great yeah i mean weirdly so that does fall really firmly into my food addiction which is ongoing i'm very Mm. compulsive around food there's no doubt about that but like functionally what's happening there is i'm taking part in an event it's like christmas dinner Mm. i can eat way too much Christmas dinner, and you probably will as well. I don't know, but probably, right? Most people do. And it's kind of part of my addiction, but mostly it's not. The stuff that's problematic for me is what happens when I'm on my own. And there's no event. Mm. There's nothing doing. What's happened? I've just played to 600 people in Leeds, and I've had a great, great night. Mm. And I need to get home. And it's now one in the morning, and the M1's shut. And there's a service station glowing in the darkness. Mm. And the shelves are glowing and the shop's glowing and it's brightly lit. And I need food anyway because I'm tired now. And I go in there 
And I'm like, well, I'm going to have a sandwich. A sandwich is not, is not big. Right, I'm going to have a sandwich and a pork pie. Damn, the pork pie's only selling twos. All right. Okay, crisps, obviously. And before I know it, I've got yeah. a lap banquet for the car, right? The, the tub of flapjacks. Yeah, and like all of that is coming from, that's not tummy hunger. That's all head hunger. It's all heart yeah. hunger. And for me, so the way I'm, I manage that is I try to keep an eye on what hunger is this? And there's, there's three kinds. There's tummy hunger, which I experience probably twice a year. Very rare that I ever actually mm. let myself get hungry. There's head hunger, which is the thing I experience most of all. Some emotional eating, some I love food, I love what it does. It, and that's the one I have to be really careful of, and it's and it's the loudest voice. And then the third one is just like social hunger, just, hey, the kids are home. My kid's coming home tonight, mm. right? And I haven't seen them for a week, and they're coming home tonight, so we'll have a good old feed up because the kids are here, and it's nice, and we'll break yeah. bread together, and, you know... So it's hard. But like, it's one of the things I find difficult about the idea of food addiction is the fact that it's so intrinsically linked with love. If, That's the like, point. I, I used to get home from school and if my mum was cooking, yeah, not that I didn't love her bef- if she wasn't cooking, but no. that, that image of my mum making yeah. bangers and mash... I don't know how she cooked the onions, but I've never had the onions. The yeah, same. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's special. And uh, but like, that's an emotional, and that's a smell thing. too. Yeah, that one is a smell. Is it, well, look, you know, I've long since thought. I mean, firstly, we we need cuddles, right? Mm. We actually physically need cuddles. Children and chimps, uh, you know, primates who don't experience physical um, affection become physically ill. Mm. organs stop working and you know so we we need them so we form those bonds and we need them and obviously we need food as well but all of us were some very briefly some maybe not at all but if not breastfed then bottle fed and bottle fed means held here with Mm -hmm. as much of your body wrapped in mine as possible your head in the crook of my arm my arm against your torso your legs and your bum held and the rest of your body pinned against mine and then either that's, uh, still, that's how i take all my meals there still, you go we still say, we, you know. we did it just before we started recording <laughs> and then breast i'm it, lighter than i look can't I? it's incredible or you're stronger i picked you up so two. easily <laughs> and then it's either breast which is even more intimate or bottle which is still very very intimate under those circumstances so that's a really strong and then lots of eye contact and gazing that's before mm. we formed the ability to create memories and bring understanding to things then as we are weaned good boy eat it up mummy uh, mummy made this specially for you um if you're a good boy and you eat all this up you can have more food which yeah. even though we don't know it until we're told is even more special because it's ice cream and yeah. it's a sweet. So it's reward, 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 and it's physical manifestation of love. Mm. Absolutely a manifestation of love. And then there's what it does chemically. But basically, you know, most people grow out of that because they're not insane and addicts don't. Mm. And for me, like mine, mine kicked off. I had problems with food when I was very little in that I couldn't eat because I was ill. And then so food... I, I had to eat a different diet and when I managed to eat and 
keep the food within me, I was congratulated massively. So that this effect was amplified. Mm. And then I went off to boarding school when I was young and I was in some pain and I was a bit confused and I had no idea. I couldn't have told you I was in pain or confused. Mm. I didn't know. It was pretty deep. But I, I knew there was a thing, not consciously, but subconsciously. I knew there was a thing. Well, this stops hurting when I eat. Mm. It just stops hurting. It, it literally all goes away. And then the pain is not to do with the fact that I'm at boarding school or anything else that's happened. The pain is I'm fat now. Mm. And the pain is I stole from my best friend today. I took his fucking, I took his stuff, man. He had these sweets his mum bought him. I took them. Mm. Jesus. So I go to bed and I'm on my own now and I'm fat. And I've been teased a bit, but not as much as the noises in my own head. And I've stolen from my friend and I've taken more than I was allowed from everywhere. And I'm fat. And I feel ashamed. And I go to bed going, that's it now, I'm done. I'm finished, this is over now. In a way, I'm glad I stole from my best friend today because that's it, it's a fucking line in the sand. And from tomorrow, that's it, I'm changing this. You wake up tomorrow and you're still wearing the same skin and you start making the same mistakes, right? From first thing in the morning and and on it goes. And that's what addiction is for me. And I believe more and more I'm sober now for nearly 29 years from drugs and alcohol and I continue to deal with the food thing. But I believe more and more that most addicts are acting out or using on yesterday's behaviour far more mm-hmm. than on the fact that some terrible thing happened when they were a kid. And often a terrible thing has happened when they're a kid as well yeah. and that the pain is really deep and it's really central. But So it's difficult. And, you know, like performing live comedy is definitely within the big basket of addiction yeah, <laughs> for me. Yeah. It's ticking all sorts of approval boxes, uh, chemical release inside my own brain and makes me feel great. It's also pretty well rationed. Mm. You know, how many gigs can I do? It's over when it's over. It's not It's not a terrible addiction to have. You yeah. know? I don't gig as much as Jimmy Carr does. What's wrong with Jimmy? Like, have a day <laughs> off, man. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, dude. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I hardly know Jimmy these days, but I understand he plays tennis and eats a lot of meals with his friends and his family. And, you know, mm. like, he's, he's, I'm sure he's fine. But, like, so it does regulate itself a bit. But being a comedian's addictive. Mm. Did you feel, what did you feel about your live shows? Like, how big was the buzz? And did you ever come to feel like you needed it? Or if you um, needed it, like you missed it so much when you weren't doing it. Mm. So it's a difficult one for me because most of the Dan and Pip career was this sort of semi... I thought I'd fixed the thing in me mm. in that time. And I hadn't. I just... Did you feel happy? I did feel happy. Yeah. yeah. I, was, I was in a long relationship at the time as well. Mm. And I hadn't cheated on her because I'd cheated on everyone before. Mm. Um, Because of stuff that happened in my childhood, Mm. I had a very uh, compulsive relationship to sex. Mm -hmm. And I've slept with far more people than, uh, not than I should have, but than 
there's there's regret. Yeah, but a lot of like sex sex without connection. A lot of sex without using sex to feel better rather than to join up with a person. And and the the stealing of the sweets kind of sex. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mate's girlfriend in the bathroom attached to their bedroom. Yeah, yeah, sort of shit. I and so I kind of had got that under control just as Dan and Pip started. Yeah. And then I'd got into a relationship as well. So I was was very kind Good place. Of in a good place. So yeah. but I realised that the Dana Pip shows were like this were the thing that was helping me maintain. Yeah. That I was getting some of that self worth from less the standing on stage bit. That was yeah. a buzz. Yeah. But the more the coming off stage and just walking into the crowd afterwards. Yeah, yeah. I was still smoking then. So standing outside. Yeah. After, especially those last couple of tours Dan and Pip did. Me and Pip did. Yeah. Um, like, because me and Pip, we were at that level where we couldn't both be on merch at the same time. It would, right. just, it would just be a nightmare. Crazy. So yeah. Pip took merch and I would stand yeah. outside smoking. So anyone who wanted something signed or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But for me, that was like 45 minutes, an hour every night of just this wave of affection. Yeah, yeah, people, yeah, yeah. You know, and that really helped me to maintain a thing. But a year before Dan and Pip finished, the relationship ended because it start the stuff I hadn't fixed started yeah, bubbling yeah, up. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then Dan and Pip end, and it's all of a sudden like, oh, wow. I didn't realise how much this was like a, a thing yeah. that was just stopping me repair. Stopping me, yeah. you know, and then literally spent, I started therapy. I'd got some counseling through a charity in Reading. Mm-hmm. There's a, a charity called Number Five Young People. Mm. And if you're under 25, you get it for free. Yeah. You're over 25, whatever you can pay goes mm. towards funding the under 25s. Mm. So I got That's it through cool. them. And it was rad. And it, mm. like within like three weeks, she was like, she just nailed me. She just right, me, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She, not that she was the kind who was just telling me what was wrong with me, but, you know. No, but there's a way it. a good therapist will show you. Yeah, yeah. They don't tell you, they show you. They 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 tap lightly and you keep talking until yeah. the truth is undeniable. It comes from your own mouth. You, you're starting at uh, point A and, and she's showing yeah. you where point C is. And, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, as you pass point B, you're like, oh, Christ. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. um... So yeah, there was definitely this this bit of me that when I look back on the Dan and Pip shows, there are some l- little twinges of like, yeah, like, uh, uh, yeah, like it would be really helpful to have that hit again. See, I think it's fascinating hearing you say that. It's fascinating because the reality of the show itself is you're busy. Mm. You're busy. You're up on the stage and the buzz before. The build-up, the arrival, the set-up, the, yeah. the thing, even the irritating sound check and the, and the badly run venue is all part of it. And then during the show, you're busy. Mm. Where the stuff happens is in the just after, mm. you know? And it, it, it's like, for me, so I've had to make some big changes about how I tour and how I behave. Mm. And it's interesting here you mention about dysfunctional relationship with sex. So I, three years ago, put a 100% um, blanket ban on porn mm-hmm. in my life. I don't look at or read any stimulating material at all. Yeah. Because I've 
I read up on what it does to everybody's brain and then figured out if you have an addict's brain, yeah, this is bad news. And I mentioned it, there's a, a podcast that pips something to do with it's the the drugs uh, the drugs guys stop and search ask them yeah 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 it was really good really interesting and i talked a bit about porn there and i, I wasn't at that stage willing to say that i had got in a bad place with it you yeah. know and that i had needed to stop I, I was just saying yeah i mean there's like there's a lot of people struggling with porn and a lot of people don't know that a lot of people struggling with porn because as a as a uh, an addictive process is free mm-hmm. and it's limitless and it won't probably kill you. Mm-hmm. So unlike drugs, unlike food, you'll put on weight drugs, you'll run out of money. You'll become dysfunctional alcohol. Your liver will burst. Mm. I've worked with people who've done more than 24 hour binges on porn mm. and not done anything else. They may have had a glass of water and I'm not talking about wanking. Mm. Right, it's the addiction to to the thing, and so I had to, from touring, from you're like you're lonely, you're on your own, hotel room, you don't want to be unfaithful. It's like, I'll 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 have a wank, I'll look at some porn, I'll go to sleep, and I realised after this is I say just over three years ago, that especially around touring, my relationship with it was insane. Mm. Because I wasn't looking at it for any sexual stimulation at all. I was just looking at it like... Like you get to the point of habit. Yeah, just you know. just gazing at, at these actually uh, like awful stuff. Uh, but, uh, you know, I bought a moral dimension into it for myself in order to make it easier for me to go, this is a 100%. This for me is alcohol and drugs, right? Yeah. I just don't do it at all. And it was a really simple thing. Because uh, ethical porn, feminist porn, da, da da da. Do you know anybody who you love or care about who could be making porn and you'd be fine with mm. that? And the answer for me was a hard no. Mm-hmm. It was like there just isn't anyone in my life who I really care about who could be in any way involved in the porn industry, and I would not have some concerns about them. And that kind of made it easier for me but anyway to come back to where we were the point is those processes those shows the attention afterwards and all the rest of it is like it needn't be harmful but it probably is Mm. (laughs) you know because because we're not we're not largely built for it and as you said you know there's a there's a world of stuff that you have from this thing happened, that thing happened, you did this, you met this person, this relationship, that relationship, whatever it is. And it just sits with you in a big old bag. And mostly it's fine. It's all right. It's just part of who we are. And then some of it defines how, I won't speak for you or for anyone else, how I behave. Some of that baggage defines how I behave. And if the thing in the bag is bad, the behavior will be bad. And then the behavior will make the thing in the bag worse. And so mm. I just have to like eliminate those from my life. And that's, that's how I do it. And now like I do this thing like um, it's a it's a little kind of like praying almost, but I practice positive gratitude, mm. like practical gratitude. So I will very often run through what looks and feels like a prayer 
just before I go on stage. And it's basically just a mental gratitude list. Yeah. I just pass through, okay, thank you to, like, the universe for every person who's come to this show. And there's a moment coming up in the next 30 seconds where I might be a great thing in their week or their day Mm. or their month or whatever, right? I might be about to give them something that they've paid for and they want that's really great, really special. And hopefully I can and that's, isn't that fucking great? And so I kind of like mentally flood myself with a sense of gratitude about the opportunity to do it. And I have found that it changes what happens after the gig. Because I'm a bit out of control after the gig. I've got the adrenaline. There's so much going on. There's so much going on and there's not much I can do about that. But if I've put this thing in place beforehand, where I run through this little thing in my head of just really checking my gratitude for it and sort of connecting with, you could call it God, but you know that would be meaningless to anyone who has any religious faith because it's not what it is. But, But for me it is just sort of like connects it up with this thing. And what it means is when I'm done, I'm okay. I'm all right. You know, I'm uh, uh, by, by which I mean, I'm much nearer to who I am now talking to you than I would have been had I not done that. Mm. So I found it really helpful. It keeps me on a more even keel, which di- was not desirable to me before. Mm. Who wants to be on an even fucking keel? I'm a comedian, you know, I want my keel all over the place. I want to be tipping over to the side and be a wild man. But the truth is, I'm 46. I've just got married again. I've got two kids. I'm hoping to have more. And, you know, I'm all right with my keel staying in the middle, you know. That's the thing with, like, drug use. Like, if you get enough people in a room together all taking drugs, you are going to the extreme at some point. Yeah, yeah. Because the energy in the room will push you there. Yeah. But the problem with someone suffering from addiction... Yeah, they don't need the rest of the room to get themselves to that extreme. Well, I mean, so I got sober when I was 17, as you know, and the reality for me was it was weird because the majority of my drinking and drug use was with mates and it was within the spectrum of normal for a Mm. 17-year-old. But given the opportunity, I would, without taking a moment's hesitation, also get high on my own, Mm. get drunk on my own. Because why would you not? Yeah. And so, and that's that's fundamentally the difference. And also, when, you know, everyone gets a hangover, even age 17 years old, but when the hangover is accompanied by feelings of worthlessness that are so profound that you are considering self-harm, suicide, and all of that stuff, then it's like, yeah, the picture's too bleak, man. Mm. It's not what drugs are for, no. you know? Yeah. It's not what they're for. I haven't done any drugs for 29 years. And I have concerns about some friends of mine who use some drugs. But for the most part, most of the people I know use drugs. I'm like, good on you. Yeah. What have you taken? How was it? How are you doing? What was that like? <laughs> With which band? <laughs> Fucking great. That sounds awesome. And the same, like... You know, look up there, there's a whole bunch of wine bottles lying on this side. My house is full of booze. Mm. My son's old enough to have a drink now when he wants one, you know, and I like I like being around it, you know. Mm. I like being around, especially around people for whom alcohol, like my dad and mum are good examples, my brother and sister-in-law too, you know, like wine is part of their language. Mm. I really like being around that, you know, and I don't feel like, oh, which one's part of it? I'm just like, yeah, it's nice, isn't it? 
they're mm. all getting along through this means of, of communication. I guess I do that more with comedy and music, you know? Yeah, I suppose you, you as you push one thing out, something else is going to fill that up, and it's trying to make sure that the thing that fills the hole... Yeah, <laughs> is yeah, positive. exactly, man. And yeah. you know, for a while, when I've been through the big moments of crisis, then change the things that fill the hole have to be of a very spiritual nature. They have to be meditation. They have to be yoga. They have to be for me going to meetings to help mm. with you know that stuff. They have to be all of that very connected stuff. And then over time. It's better that they're those things, but it's all right if they're not. And food yeah. gets a bit more traction and other slightly, you know, behaviours I need to just keep an eye on. And it's kind of the balance of things, you know. But I've made the mistake before of drifting too far away from the stuff that keeps me sane mm. and imagining I'll be fine. And uh, I have not been. Mm-hmm. I've made some terrible decisions along the way. Based on all based on all of those things, but you know, for the for the victims of those decisions, a family that I broke in half, for example, uh, it doesn't make any difference where it's coming from. They mm. just live the reality of it, and that you know that that shit matters to me so much. It's no good just sitting around feeling guilty and shamed about all of the things that you've ever done. You just drag yourself down into a hole, and actually, no one who was damaged by your behaviour benefits from you carrying shame around, you know, mm. doesn't help. What helps is making amends and adjusting your behaviour so that, you know, you do better things. Yeah. Um, it is a, it is an interesting thing. We Like, you, anyone I know who is an addict, no matter how long it's been since their last, whether it booze yeah. or whatever, will still consider themselves an addict. Yeah. And... Uh, I find, I don't know, I, I don't know how to phrase this. We never hear back from the ones who leave and successfully drink again. Mm. So if you're going to AA, mm. right, you and I are going to AA, right, and, and, and it's all fine, and you've been sober 12 years and I've been sober 10 years, and you disappear, mm. and you just go, I don't really know what happened to you. And maybe, maybe you started drinking again under new circumstances and you were okay. You would not still hang out with your AA mates because it would be weird and shitty. And uh, as well as like, it would be weird. There'd also be like, well, Dan was fine. Yeah. Maybe I'll be fine. So you probably, you probably disappear from our lives. Mm. The people who go try it again and it explodes like a landmine in their face, taking limbs off everyone around them. Mm. They come back with horror stories. Yeah. They're like, I'd been sober 22 years, and I was at a... a I was... It was a Tuesday. It's never a big do. It's never... Yeah. It's never... It was my wedding! and I, It's never that. It was a fucking... It's a Tuesday. It's always a yeah. Tuesday. And, uh, and I just went in the pub, and I went, do you know what? I'm going to have a half a Guinness. And fuck it. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And they, when they come back, they're like, yeah, well, I'm divorced now and uh, I, I, I'm never allowed to drive again. <laughs> like a, a, a relative of mine, one of his is literally 
like half a uh, cider and yeah. then he was gone he was in Ibiza yeah got kicked out of the his the country for his own safety because he had right. um, slept with a drug dealer's daughter <laughs> right yeah <laughs> back you know these owing like ten thousand pounds and yeah. this and it's like oh wow <gasps> Oh, oh wow. wow, well done. So when you That's said you were impressive. an addict, I had no idea. I mean, there is that. Yeah, and those yeah. mates of mine who were like, go on. Yeah. Go on. You, you seem like you'd be fine. So there's that part of it. But probably the other thing is that, like, for me, for example, right, I am so much an addict. Mm. It's in my... It's just in my bones, man. I mean, like, my record collection there, I can't really afford that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, here we are. And right now, I'm on an absolute ban. And you, you self-imposed. Like your jazzy stuff as well. So some of those are going to be pricey. Jazz is expensive. Oh, my. unless it's bad jazz when it's almost free and it's in every charity yeah. shop, right? So yeah, 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 yeah. And 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 like any sensible addict, I've worked out worked out ways of getting my uh, my supply. Uh, <laughs> I know where to go. Uh, Paris, it turns out, is the answer. So. You know, but I mean, it's it's a trivial small thing. I do or I don't buy records and then I'm okay, you know. But there is, like, mercifully, I'm a food addict. And there's such a good, clear barometer of like, oh, what if I'm still an addict today? (laughs) Oh, yeah, I definitely am. And also, (laughs) just Someone just shows you some dairy lunchables. Yeah, man. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Back up. Just like the wine, you know, there's a pack of... um, Hot cross buns sitting up there. I haven't had any. Do you know what? When you when you and, came yeah. in, I got here and you said, Do you want some toast? I saw those and I was like, Should I have hot cross bun? Fucking with butter. Oh. Yeah. I know, and I was right? like, Salty instant- butter. Mm. Who the fuck? I'm so like, I know we've had some serious conversation, but the real issue here is why the fuck do people buy unsalted butter? Who are they? What the. Who what, are they? Who are. Like, genuinely. Are Where are they going? And I think if we can find out who those people are, we can associate Brexit with them, I think, uh, I think racism, right. I think all right. phobias. Yeah, uh, I think just, so. I think what they're choosing is, I think it's false for a kickoff. Yeah. And I think that they, yeah, I mean, there's something vicious in them, isn't there? There's just something to their <laughs> core that is is wrong. Even with, like, have you seen those, like, my daughter bakes quite a lot and it'll be like, you know, X hundred grams of unsalted butter, and then the next ingredient is salt. You're like, what? Let's just combine the two. Get over yourself. Come on. But proper butter, like butter that you eat, should always be salted. Well, did you enjoy that conversation? If so, smash that subscribe button and drop a scintillating five-star review. And don't forget, you can support this podcast directly by hopping over to patreon.com forward slash Dan Lassac. Enjoy! Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along 
and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, hey. That was a lovely chat, wasn't it? It was. Yes, I know. Yeah, thank you. No, that's lovely of you to say that. Really? I look... I have lost a little bit of weight. Yeah. No, that's really... Oh, I didn't know anyone had noticed. I'm glad I got to have such a frank and open conversation about addiction. Sorry to interrupt, this is Jason, but the podcast that Marcus mentioned was mine. It's Stop and Search. Marcus gave an incredible conversation with us about addiction and his own lived experience in various different ways. So, yeah, I do wholeheartedly recommend that people check that one out. And thank you so much for letting me interrupt, Dan. So apologies for that, but let's get back to falling forward. Um, obviously, it's something that's touched my life, uh, in my family, uh, in myself. Self! <laughs> a nice voice crack there to emphasise self. I actually had to grab one of my testicles to make that voice crack happen then, but, you know, I'll do anything to sell it. So it was very, it was very important for me to get a perspective from outside my own little bubble. And Mr. Brigstock has talked about it before and is very comfortable talking about it so i feel like we didn't get bogged down in too much emotion which emotion's important don't get me wrong guys but sometimes we you can get into the weeds of the pain of something rather than like the actual experience of it hmm i don't know if i'm making any sense right now but this is a, a dan lasak outro so that's how it goes um, but yeah, I'm going to get out of the way. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, hope you were uh, just happy in your lives and stuff. And uh, I'll see you in a fortnight. Oh, actually, but wait around for the food bit now. Uh, probably after these messages. Because of messages. Yeah? Enjoy. I think I could never go vegan because of the butter part. Because of butter. Because even though I don't yeah. have butter in my house... This Do you not? No. Yeah, none. Wow. The only dairy product you, I have indoors is a Parmesan cheese. Is it a goodie? Uh, no, I don't go like crazy, but I yeah, usually yeah, get yeah. an okay. all right one. Yeah, good. But because I can't have cheddar, 
because yeah. I would just eat that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would yeah, just sure. chop blocks of it and eat it. So yeah. having that in means I can grate that on pasta or whatever, grate that in yeah. a bit of soup, and I get my yeah. cheese hit because it's strong. I've got a piece in my fridge over there. You're very welcome to try it if you wish, of a cheese called Rogue River Blue, which mm. is the winner of the World Cheese Awards. It is like oh, wow. verifiably the greatest cheese in the world yeah. right now. If you ever It's amazing. If you ever come to Frederick, Maryland, yeah. um we me and Andrea have found the worst flavoured cheese in the world. Ah. You know you get Trappist monks who make beer yeah. and yeah. that beer is delightful. Yeah. Well you might not know. Yeah no I know, I know about how it. seventeen yeah, yeah, year olds yeah. get yeah. well we've thought well we saw this Trappist cheese. Monk cheese. Uh, well the monks oh, the monks were integral in the in the in the artisan making of cheese, but this sounds like a bad one. But yeah, it was like those guys were very good at beer, but they had just only ever made the cheese after drinking the beer. Are these American monks? I, I think so. Yeah. See, was, there's there's a cheese called Tête de Moine, Monk's Head, mm. and it's a washed rind that they basically the monks just had a lot of time on their hands, vows of silence and shit. So they started making beers, wines, and very often cheeses mm. because they had the time and it's really like it's endurance work. So mm. some of the greatest cheeses have been developed by monks. But tell me about this one. Oh, this is no, this is just pure monks feet. Like, <laughs> that's the only thing. You, is it monk, filth? Is it monk, disgusting? One of those cheeses that even once you've put it in the bin in multiple carrier bags, yeah. it is still stinking. Permeant. So it's a washed yeah. rind then almost certainly. Like, Andrew, when she bought that, a little sticky, a little sweaty. Yeah. But she didn't have a cat when she bought that. And when we first introduced her cat to the house, the cat was like, what the fuck is that smell? Amazing. Look, if if you found a dairy thing that a cat isn't into, then you've nailed it. (laughs) Dave's a problematic cat. Dave has definitely got some some issues in there. But are you food brave? Like, will yeah, you eat, eat everything? Everything. Yeah, me everything. too, man. I love trips to China. Yeah. I've, see, they, I've never been they, to China. They eat weird shit, and I'm yeah. all over it. Like, I'll try it. I'll try it. Most of it I don't like, but I don't mind. I'm I, like, yeah, let's try so it. So I remember being like 17, and um, we went, Benny Wong's in Stanfordly Hope were doing an exotic one. And I'm food brave enough to know when they said they were making monkey brain soup, that was lamb. That was lamb's Yeah, of course brain. it was. Yeah, I knew yeah, that yeah. was lamb from the first You're bite. not going to get monkey brains in the UK. Sorry, sir. This is lamb. This is lamb. You know, but they, they were adamant. But yeah. no, I would... Um, yeah, that idea of like uh, nose to tail eating and stuff, I just think that uh, I'll give everything a go. And there yeah. are things I don't like. Yeah, of but. course. I feel like, you know, having said I don't really care about animals, it's true. But I, I do feel like if you kill an animal... Mm. Especially if you've raised it in order to kill it for food, you better try and eat all of it. This weirdly loops back to when we were talking about religious stuff earlier. On the bus stop I I live by in Reading, there is a tiny little sticker that says, Thou shalt uh, not kill. Yeah, yeah. And then an apostrophe. Um, This also applies to asking somebody else to kill food for your plate. I've had that discussion with people before. They're like, "If you would you eat meat if you had to kill it yourself?" Yes, yeah, yeah. yes, mate, in a heartbeat. Like, especially no as, problems. like the, I'm not going to have to strangle a cow to death. No. I'm still going to have the tools that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, like, would I cow? punch a cow to death? No, God, no, no. Bare hands, no. I think no. no. But I'd have a go at milking it. 
I'd, I, if it, if it was a survival cow. thing, I'd do um, it that way. It'd be stupid to try and kill it, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, I would definitely. Like, it, it's, it's definitely that thing that I think I'd probably go off me if I had to kill a cow every for yeah, three weeks. Yeah, pretty grim, man. I reckon I'd get grim. tired of People it. People who work in abattoirs sometimes find life quite difficult. Yeah. And, you know, like, like having said I don't care about animals, I do, you know, I care about animal welfare. But if you're to the veg of me, if you see what mm. I mean, you're like, no, you don't. No, you don't. What difference does it make to you? If yeah. you're going to eat it anyway, what do you care about a bus full of sheep, you know, or, or, a, or pigs? Like- but I'm like, no, look, I've seen it. I've seen there are ways of doing it that I can be mm. okay with and other ways that I'm not. And Brexit takes us there really quickly. I'm like, look, the American attitude to how they keep chickens and or, and all their livestock, what they give them, how they slaughter them and all the rest of it is different from the European standard. Mm. And it's one that I don't like. And I don't like it because I'm used to the European one. If I was mm-hmm. American, I probably wouldn't give a toss because you just it's what you get used to. But I don't want it. I don't want us to have it. I don't want us to be able to compete with Europe by getting that shit cheaper because someone somewhere didn't care what happened. Yeah. You know? And and to be fair, it doesn't care after the fact as well. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. American yeah. chicken Yeah, the chlorination thing. And the, yeah. When you get chicken that tastes like chicken, you're like, oh, oh, this when is... it's got like a little colour to it as yeah, well. Yeah, 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 like... yeah, exactly. And you know, <laughs> salt, we're back at salt. Back, back at salt. Back at salt. If you eat chicken with or turkey without salt, like, what are you doing? You can't taste anything. Who eats the white meat as well? The dark meat? Exactly. These people. Well, that's, that's one of the things that fascinated me in China. I was talking to people that, over there about what they eat, which bits mm. of the chicken they eat. And to most British people, like the knee and the foot and, and all of that, like, mm. oh my God, disgusting. And they, I've spoken to Chinese people who are like, the breast is like this wet, flabby... Yeah. Uh, like every bit of it as you bite through is sort of the same mm. and it just crushes down to what a kind of wet dust of sorts. And I'm like, I do actually get that. I prefer, uh, I actually prefer brown meat, but like I prefer chicken breast to chicken feet. Mm. Uh, I feel like you can do more with it. But, you know, but I get it. I get what they're saying. Mm. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. I uh, The first time I had a Thanksgiving meal, Andrea took me to uh, a place in Washington... Lincoln related. Yeah, yeah. And like the whole building is, all the floor is covered in pennies, which seems like a waste to sure. me. But, you know. But it was like half sit-down meal, half yeah. buffet. So you had to go up and yeah, get your yeah. meat. Almost off like a beef eater. Or yeah, whatever, yeah. But a posh beef eater. And I, did, I found it really funny that it was sort of in this little queue of quite middle-class people. Andrea covered head to toe and toes. And the guy guy cutting up the chicken literally every time someone he would say light or dark and they'd say light and he would just tut and his tut was getting louder yeah louder yeah yeah louder. yeah yeah and then me and andrea are there and it's just like we both go dark and he's just like yes you just see it and you like his hands <laughs> in my mind his hands shaking because he wants to hide yeah yeah and yeah <laughs> Thank goodness. Finally, so Listen, it's the I've, good got, bit. I've got 800 thighs here because <laughs> I've had to take the breast yeah. off every one breast. of them. Yeah, I, you know, that's one of the things that really bothers me. You know, loads of restaurants will say, you know, like rotisserie chicken and they'll say half, mm. half a rotisserie chicken. And then what they bring you is no way is it half. I no want, way. I want a chicken that has been cooked and then someone's got a big knife 
and, and gone. literally chopped Whack. it in half. Because I want those little bits of liver that are still attached to the bones. Mm. And I want the little gristly bits and I want the oyster from underneath. Yeah. And I want the thin skin that sits on the belly where it's been cooked, which isn't crispy oh at all, God. but it's all like wet and glutinous and delicious. I want all the bits, man. I So my ex literally would have to hide the fact She'd have to wait until I was away to roast the chicken. Right. She would like roast the chicken to yeah. get like a chicken pie out of that. Or yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. But if I was at home when the chicken was being roasted, th- there would be no skin. I would have just seen it. There and would just be this off. perfectly bald <laughs> and like its legs. I would have just peeled the whole thing. Just strip it. Just sorry. Well, yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you cooked it. You know, the best, this is not my the fault. The best thing with chicken is to. Uh, is to whack the legs off and the wings when it's cooked mm. and throw them back in the oven for like another 15 minutes. Just yeah. leave the breast covered up, throw them back in on a high heat and cook the hell out of yeah. them. Because breast and leg just doesn't cook at the same time. I'm going to be honest, I'm really looking forward to my five bean salad that I've got for dinner. Is that what you're having tonight? Five having. beans, man. Oh, yeah. Well, oh yeah, five different... No, four beans this time. Cause I'm four out. bean salad. I'm out of haricot. Ah, oh, you're throwing this together yourself? Yes. So, out of Harrico, what's going in there? Reds? Uh, reds, adzuki. Adzuki beans? I don't yeah. know those. They're, they're, just, they're good? They're good. Just a bean? Yeah. Uh, black-eyed. Yeah, yeah, good. That's but, a good bean. It's got some bite, some texture. But then, the fo- my fourth bean isn't a bean. It's okay. green lentils. Yeah, great. So those chopped Tasty, up. man. With peppers chili? chopped up in there. Yeah. Um... Garlic, sweet, sweet corn. Yeah. Oh God, yeah, just yeah, dressing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the variations Delicious, on man. dressing. That'll be that's like because it's quite proteiny. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So that'll get me through. Yeah. And Does it then, give you the farts? It doesn't. It doesn't. Mate, I went vegan been, for a month. Not as a like I tried to be vegan and then failed. I decided mm. be vegan for a month. Learn how to cook and shop for vegan food mm. and learn like where to eat out yeah, and what and what like, to order. If um. Like canned beans, if you're right. buying canned beans, just go one step above cheap. Yeah, 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 yeah. Been, The way to stop yourself farting with beans is they just have to be soaked long enough. Better beans. That chemical. Oh, uh, okay. Dissipate. Yeah, I mean, because I didn't really like the tofu type thing. So I I'm was, not a fan of tofu. I was really only eating beans and yeah. I was, it was insane. <laughs> insane. So are you buying these, are you buying them hard and so I'll, soaking I'll, them? It depends. Like I've got hard bags, yeah, and I've got a few tins. Good for you, man. That's just in really case. Great. It's fine. No, it's better it's than fine, man. It's I, than I it do, was. Honestly, I do think that's great, and I tell you why. Take some work, take some effort, and when you get there and you've made the effort, I know for a fact it tastes great because I've done it, but only a few times. I think the weird thing about like stuff like that is it the time it takes. Usually, you've made it. It's not like making a big meal and then you mm. have to eat that meal because sometimes you can just be put off by the yeah, process yeah, 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 or yeah. you yeah. grazed along the way. Yeah. It's so like wait, like soaking them, waiting for them yeah. to like cook. And How long do you soak them for? I usually put them in overnight. Like 24 hours or yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah, at least 12. With salt? With salt. Yeah, good. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Garlic salt is what nice. I often use. Yeah, yeah, Which yeah. is not garlic salt. It's, no, sure. It's got all it's sorts. salt and a bit of, of some garlicky stuff in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Nice, man. I don't know what I'm having tonight. I usually let the kids decide when they come back on a Friday because some sort of tired. bread and They've cheese had a long week thing. and, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it'll be something. Hot dogs, maybe. <laughs> 
We'll see. I wouldn't get away with serving veggie food to them. No. My daughter would be like, <laughs> what? What? And at some point, though, you're going to be able to mock her when she's vegan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course In 10 years' vegan. time, she'll, yeah, be, she'll be vegan. She'll be proselytizing about years. the eco benefits My of son it, is much like, closer to it, man. He's just not that bothered about meat. I'll serve, you know, like a rib of beef. And he's mm. like, yeah. I think I'm sweets. I'm all sweets. See, I basically don't eat sugar. I eat some honey. So yeah, never, never get but, into it. But I really like. I don't eat biscuits. I don't eat cakes. I don't eat ice cream. I don't eat any yeah. sweets. Sweets. Cho- I don't eat right. any chocolate. That's part of. So a big is part of how I stay sane around food yeah, ah, okay. is that. Yeah. And I've done that. I've stuck with that for all of twenty nine years. That's like alcohol. So I've literally not had a piece of cake or a biscuit in all that time. Yeah. There's naked bars that have got dates and nuts in and yeah. I eat that I eat a fair bit of dried fruit which mm. has got a lot of sugar in but even with that I'm pretty careful yeah know? yeah so and it's I think like that makes a big difference it's worse for your teeth than yeah else. so I'm told yeah and yeah. fruit juice too yeah it's got we got like some good stuff here yeah man two I mean, hours it's three it's three podcasts <laughs> some about food some about philosophy, oh, I'm gonna, some about music. I'm going to like just cut it directly in half without yeah, sure. any care or yeah, attention. Fine. Just no intro, no outro. That's the way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to hang up. Only because I need a pee. Bye. Bye. This is the end. It's finished now. I'll see you in a bit. Love you.